Hey guys, this week's episode will cover the ever-present pressure for consumerism and how it can affect us. I'm glad you're here. So I want to start this episode just thanking you guys for everyone who listened to my first like intro welcome episode. I got an overwhelming positive response. Uh, really made me so happy. I did not expect uh, that the amount of people who did listen to it to listen to it. So that's really cool. Uh, I would consider this episode my first one because it's really on a topic. It's not just a general one. So uh, I'm really interested in this. So I hope you like it. So I've had a lot of time since I moved back home to look around at all of the things that we have in our house. I started to see more and more stuff that hasn't been touched in so many years. Some boxes are still in the house that we had when we moved in when I was six, so 13 years ago. Obviously, we don't need all that stuff that we haven't touched for that many years, right? I started talking to my parents about the clutter And my mom said that she's been known there is way too much stuff in the house, but it's, quote unquote, not as easy as you think to get rid of it. One, there's a whole process you have to go through. Going through the endless boxes and drawers, sorting through the stuff, putting the stuff back into boxes for donation or trash or maybe selling. And second, in addition to that process that we all know takes forever, There is also an aspect of emotional attachment to this stuff. She made a good point, though, that all of these books and toys and junk we have didn't all accumulate overnight. We've slowly but stored things over decades, which includes both mom and dad's things they've brought with them from their lives before now. The slow exponential growth is hard to notice. So the things we hold on to often hold memories of people and places and feelings. It's like a sort of comfort. And to part with these things would be uncomfortable. These things we have also can serve as a filler for a void in some other aspect in our lives. I'll explain what I mean by void in a minute. This consumer climate we live in is seductive. The brands promise so much and end up offering so little. For example, clothing brands often promise popularity, attraction, power, and a look that goes with your identity. Uh, They're not just selling a product, but they're selling a feeling. In my experience, that feeling was very short-lived, and I found greater value in connection and trusting myself. So what feelings are they trying to sell us? Well, I'll tell you. There's a psychologist named Abraham Maslow. He created, you might have heard of it, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which is chunked out in five sections. To create a visual, this hierarchy is in a large triangle shape, and the needs go from less important to most important, uh, (laughs) survival-wise. At the tippy top, we have self-actualization, which includes the need for achieving your full potential. Second, we have esteem needs. This is feelings of accomplishment. Third, we have belongingness and love needs, so intimacy and friendship. The last two at the base of the triangle are safety needs, which 
is what it sounds like. And physiological needs includes food, water, warmth, rest, the basics. These five sections of needs that all humans have are the quote-unquote voids that we want to fill. Advertisers know this. They can probably recite the hierarchy by heart. So when you just went through a breakup, so the feeling of intimacy is gone, or you failed a big exam, you aren't feeling accomplished, it's so easy to turn to all the endless product advertisements and that promise to make you feel better. It's especially easy when there's a deal for two for the price of one. These things are so accessible. The other day I ordered the, the mic I'm talking to right now, and it was shipped and delivered to my house in a matter of hours. Technology is also more present in this dynamic than ever before. In the last two decades, smartphones have wiggled their way into almost everyone's hand in the modern world. I use mine every day, and admittedly, I probably wouldn't know how to do some things without it. Technology, like smartphones, provide a different kind of consumerism. There are advertisements hidden everywhere, but also in plain sight. It's getting increasingly easier to buy things with these constant ads on social media and settings for buy now, when you can literally buy something online with two clicks to be sent to you that day. I watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma on Netflix. They cover some of these topics as well as a plethora of others, but mostly on how invasive social media is. But I could probably have a whole episode on that for itself. The big takeaway I had from this documentary is that they showed how we, you and me, are the products being sold. Well, really, our time is the thing being sold. And isn't our time really all we have? So these social media sites will literally cater your feed to what you've shown interest in previously by timing how long you look at your post and what you like and share. This way, you'll get more ads that appeal to your interests based on your data. I'm sure you've probably heard this before, and maybe it's not so surprising, but it makes me feel weird that these social media platforms and websites are constantly gathering data from us, then like regurgitating advertisements and media that correspond to what we've shown interest in, all for the purpose of getting us to give them more of our time and to buy more things. I think it's so important to remember to ground ourselves and take back that control. When I realized I had this codependent relationship going on with my phone, I started leaving my phone at home when I went out for walks, not bringing it to the dinner table, keeping the ringer off. There are other aspects of my life I want to work on too, and I don't want this attachment to consume my life so much. I want to be more present mentally and physically, with the people around me and the places I go. This is how we miss things, you know, big things, like someone you love who is struggling, or even you can miss how you are struggling. We can miss the beauty of little things around us when we're glued to our phones, and these moments you just can't recreate. I also just want to stop spending my money. I want to save it, and I find it hard to pass up a really good deal even when I don't even need anything new. And, oh my god, this is so bizarre to me also. I've noticed that my attention span has been shortened, like when I'm watching a movie or literally in my online class. I can't help but have my phone on aimlessly scrolling through the interwebs. 
So I want to go back to the emotional appeal of being a consumer. Remember how I said this consumer climate is seductive? That is no lie. It's absolutely attractive when you hear about products with the words faster, new, free, easiest, exclusive, the list goes on. These advertisers really know how to get our attention. It's also seductive to have a distraction from the difficult things going on in our lives. Surfing the web and looking through sales for things that we don't need is a perfect escape and really only benefits the producer. Maybe you have, um, but I have not come across many conversations about people trying to limit their consumption. It's like ingrained in our American culture to keep buying and buying. Whenever there's a lull in the frenzy, there's another holiday that almost always has an implied trip to the store for gifts or decorations, uh, or even a day dedicated for shopping, like Black Friday. Also, most of those sales start a week or two before, online and in person. I learned that probably only two years ago. Consuming doesn't just clutter our houses. It clutters our mental space and ability to prioritize things that really matter. Groundbreaking discovery of pushing uncomfortable thoughts away doesn't actually make them disappear. I found out that you'll just have to deal with them later. As hard as it could be sometimes, when I've taken the leap to embrace the fear and shame I'm feeling, it becomes more manageable and I actually don't have this compulsion for disconnection, or in this case, consumption, as a little fix of serotonin, the happy chemical in our bodies. If we keep pushing these issues away, it eventually leads to some kind of breakdown, like a beaker overflowing. Why is that the thing that happened months ago still coming up in your mind? Maybe it means that that thing needs attention. I mean, if it bothers you, then it is a valid issue in your life. No cute skirt, new hair, new sneakers are going to make those very real and human feelings go away. Same with objects that hold memories. Those memories stay in your head, and that's where they're really held. I think my main point here is that I think it's important to try to be mindful of the objects that we bring into our lives. Really ask ourselves if the thing is to serve an important purpose. And also be okay to part with stuff that doesn't have a purpose anymore. Like my mom was saying about how the amount of things we've had in our house have grown over time. It's not a situation of getting rid of all the things that you see all at once, but a change of mindset. One documentary that I watched that really reaffirmed my ideas of purging the things I don't need and living more simplistically was Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. It's on Netflix. Now, I'm not talking about tiny houses. If that's your thing, then good for you, but not what I took away from the documentary. I thought their perspectives on our capitalist society pushing for gluttonous consumption were really interesting. Also, they talk a little bit about the fashion industry and how it pushes consumers to just keep consuming, to keep up with trends, and that keeping up with trends has been labeled important because of the manipulative nature of advertising. I recommend the watch. So all that being said, there are positives of consumption, of course. If you're into fashion, then you appreciate new styles and most likely want to invest your money into buying them. If you love cooking and have shelves on shelves of cookbooks around your house, 
uh, shout out to my grandma, then by all means, I say whatever is important to you and brings you joy or even just looks nice, trust your judgment to keep it or not. I have things in my room that just sit there and collect dust, but I like them a lot. I have these mom and dad stuffed dolls from Ikea that look exactly like my parents. My mom is from India and her doll is wearing a kurta pajama, which is a traditional woman's East Asian outfit made from just a top and pants. And apparently Ikea caught on. Fun fact, the word pajama is from the Hindi language, which the British inherited after they took over India. There is stuff that I have that don't serve much purpose, but like Marie Kondo says, they spark joy, so I'm not going to sweat over keeping it. Also, if you don't know even what I just said, I'll link Marie Kondo's website in the description. I think what's important is a shift of perspective and really valuing the importance of what you already have and what you bring into your life. I really don't have space in my life for things that aren't important and that don't really benefit me. And I think that mentality can be carried on to more things than just inanimate objects. We have a good amount of agency over the input that we take in. The energy in my room or places that I am around the house really affects my mood. And the third week into online school, I had this major obsessive cleaning and organizing episode where I cleaned out my room three giant trash bags later, I noticed this kind of still and calm feeling, and it was great. That's exactly what I needed after moving back home from school after the first week. Something I can control, you know, but also good, calm vibes. I want to acknowledge, too, that not everyone cares uh, so much about the aesthetic or organization to the level I do. It just really helps me with my anxiety. I think you'd be surprised at how many things you have that you never use. I definitely was. What I did was I picked up a piece of clothing and I held it. And if I felt happy about it, then it was a keep. And if there was no attachment really, then it was a donate. So I propose this. Why don't you start with one part of your space that could be a drawer, a shelf, or a closet. Go through each thing in front of you. See if holding it makes you feel happy and that you know you value it, or if there's no feeling really like that there. Just try it and let me know how it goes. This is what helped me. Some of you are wondering what it'll be like for future episodes. I've been intentionally discreet about it, you know, for the element of surprise. But basically, I want to share these topics that are really important to me and that I've learned about to destigmatize talking about them and maybe offer a perspective you haven't heard before. It would also be so cool to hear your perspectives and what you related to. Through my experiences so far in my 19 years of life, I've developed some skills and tools that have helped me deal with and overcome hurdles. From the start of college, then corona hitting, then up to this point, I've had a lot more exposure and time to grow and develop my mindsets. I've learned so much about our society and human behavior through majoring in sociology and just having conversations with people. I've also learned more about myself and where I want to prioritize my energy over the past six months than any other point in my life. And I want to make myself very clear. I'm going to mess up. 
I know I'll probably mess up and misuse a word or go on tangents, but that is okay. And I actually invite it because that's how we grow. As Brene Brown has said, there's no innovation or creativity without failure. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope your decluttering goes well. Pro tip, lift with your legs, not your back. (laughs) Talk to you guys soon. Mwah.